Hey, terrific. So good morning, folks. Thank you very much. Uh, so first, Happy New Year. Um, wish you a very prosperous and safe and um, uh, just Happy New Year. Just a lot of folks seem to be upset about something. Um, this webinar, we're going to try something a little bit different. And I've been doing this these webinars for Fred, and thank you, Fred, for the opportunity since about June, July of uh, 23. And one of the things that I've been doing is been testing ideas through these webinars, uh, new formats, new ideas, figuring out whether I should do the how or should I spend more time with the why. Anyway, in this webinar in risk-based auditing, we're really going to spend more time than usual on the why. Why is it important? Why does it matter to you? Why should you be doing it? Um, what's, you know, anyway, we'll spend more time. And also, this is going to be a little bit more conversational. A lot of my seminars tend to be geeky, engineering, and very uh, linear. And this one is going to be a little bit non-linear. So anyway, hope you enjoy. Give me your thoughts or share them with Fred even better. So here's a little background on who we are. Um, we've basically been evangelizing that the future quality is risk for about the better part of 20 years. Uh, you can basically get this through uh, my website or LinkedIn. But anyway, here are the takeaways from today's talk. First of all, we're living this world of uncertainty. I, I would call it more the world of risk. And here are a couple examples. You know, we've, we've got that continuing war in the Ukraine. We've got a ship, Evergreen, that basically went sideways in the Suez Canal uh, last year and uh, basically stopped all shipping through the, uh, through the canal. Um, we've had COVID, unfortunately. Now we've got AI. Uh, this is our logo from our little AI app. And in California and the Northwest where... I live the northwest of the U.S. We have forest fires. So here's sort of an overview of what the takeaways from today's talk are. Uh, all life and work seems to be disrupted. We're now Vulcans. So this is a common theme in most of my talks. <laughs> We're look, living in a VUCA world and basically VUCA time. And you can see what VUCA means. So we coined the phrase Vukans, that we're all Vukan inhabitants. So Vuka inhabitants, we took the N out of an, uh, inhabitants and we sort of smashed them, mushed them together to get Vukans. So we're all Vukans in one form or another. Um, as you'll see, risk is the lens for most decision-making, if not most of life. Um, this is the challenge that we think is a big one in 24 this year. Uh, because of AI, or thanks to AI, we often often don't know what's real or certain. And that's the premise of today's talk. Um, the premise or value of risk-based auditing is that it's a form of assurance, a form of trust. Um, many of the AI models out there are very similar. They're LLMs, large language models. It's easy to get access to many of the models. You just simply scrape the web. <laughs> well, you used to, but that's going to probably become outlawed. Um, the second thing is uh, we're going to 
probably see, and by the way, the other thing that's very common are the algorithms. Everybody has access to the AI algorithms. So what's the differentiator between, say, Google, Apple, and even our little company? It's basically trust and assurance. And probably in 24, with AI growing exponentially, investment in AI, trust is going to be the differentiator for most companies. And hence, that's what we're going to be talking about today, risk-based auditing. Again, auditing can be something very formal or it can be informal. And we'll talk about both of those. So what are we going to cover today? Uh, each one of these is a section. And one of them is what risks do organizations and most of us face? What's risk-based auditing? What's the biggest challenge to quality and reliability professionals? Uh, what are examples? And we'll cover about five common examples of these type of assurance mechanisms. And then we're going to talk about provide a case study as quality. Maybe even reliability is going to be moving to some form of risk-based auditing and today's takeaways. So let me start with a little sidebar. I've been doing these talks for Fred since June 23. And one of the things that we've learned is people want to know the why. Why is this important? Why is it? And we talked about that a couple of minutes ago. So I'm going to provide some examples and a case study that hopefully will make a lot of this relevant. Why is this important to you? Why does it matter? Why should you be doing risk-based auditing in the future? So let's get into it. Um, this is a um, New York Times cover, front page, a couple of days ago, Saturday, December 30th, 23. And the thing I want to point out is when you go through the front page of almost any paper or listen to any evening news, the lens, the understanding, the formatting, the, the way that everything is presented seems to be through the filter, the lens of risk management. In this case, as you can see from the red circles, Ukraine, Russian barrage, Ukraine. Now, on the left, we've got three circles. Well, they look like ellipses, ellipticals. But uh, you can see that there we're really talking about negative consequence type of risk. On the right, we have another risk article, but it really starts focusing on the upside of risk. And that's the first takeaway from this talk. Risk both has a negative side, downside consequence, and it's got an upside, which we would call opportunity risk. And throughout this talk, we're going to focus on both of those. Um, as you can see from a LinkedIn survey just last month, um, we've got all types of stuff happening. As a matter of fact, um, Financial Times out of the UK basically said the uh, word of the year from their point of view is de-risk, de-risk. So this type of stuff is not going to go away. And one of the takeaways for you is one, put risk in your job title, and two, learn risk management. So why is risk-based auditing require, required? Um, 
simply, it's a form of developing trust. Trust that the controls are working. Trust we know that there is a correlation of hopefully even causation between inputs and outputs. Trust that what we're doing is adding value. Trust that the systems are in place doing what they have to do. But first of all, let me sort of construct a diagram with you. And we did this sequentially. And hopefully it sort of shows why, what's happening to organizations. So on the horizontal timeline, we have obviously time. And on the vertical one, we have VUCA. So what happens if we add a line to it? The dotted line, for example, is basically how most organizations want to be. They want to have uh, systems, processes that are stable. Now, when we look at the essence of Six Sigma, reliability, quality, uh, or even lean, what are they all based on? They're based on stable systems. We have a target, we have an objective, and we're minimizing variation around that target. Uh, technically, in quality or reliability, we say that processes are stable, meaning they're in control. They're capable, capable of what? Capable of meeting specifications, and they're improving. And improving from a quality reliability standpoint means minimizing variation around a target. So this horizontal dotted line basically represents what most companies are have been doing for 30, 40 years. And we call that, you know, the internal processes. But here's the challenge things these days for companies, and frankly, for all of us, follows this curve. Over time, we have more uh, instability, uncertainty. Or think of VUCA. We have more volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And that increases over time. And what happens? We call that external disruption. And that external disruption is outside in. It's coming from outside into the organization. But what happens to the internal processes in the organization? We have greater gaps, risks in terms of uh, greater uh, variation and variability, greater variability and reliability, quality, cost, schedule, scope, and technology. But here's the challenge. We have a bigger gap because the internal metric, the internal business model has been basically for many years, 50, 100 years, stability. But we have this external disruption coming inside the organization, which is causing gaps, which result in risks. And when we have those big gaps, what do we have? We have variability and lack of trust. And the idea is companies now are trying to design reliable systems that basically can deal with disruption, can deal with discontinuity, that can deal with VUCA. And are there new business models being developed? Yes, they're AI-based. The challenge is we're still right now, probably most of 24, in that gap between stable systems, stable processes, and external disruption. Somehow we have to close that gap with new tools, new ideas, new business models, new, well, new techniques. That's a challenge. 
because right now that gap means we don't have trust. So what's the solution? Well, that's the challenge. And for us, a little company, engineering company, and for basically every company in the world, closing that gap uh, and creating certainty, creating trust, creating a new business model is basically the big opportunity. Because remember, when we started the talk, risk has two pieces to it. It has downside consequence and upside opportunity. So what we have is disruption and all over the place. Companies are reevaluating a lot of their business models, make or buy, reshore, ISO, almost everything, even reliability. And we're going to talk about that a lot today uh, because in the reliability engineering field, we need to develop new ways to make decisions. Again, not solve problems so much as coming up with the right decisions based upon our problem solving. Because that's going to be the differentiator between us and the machine. The machine, when I say machine, it's really AI. They can basically take the tool and solve a problem, at least numerically. Expressing that, expressing that articulating that to the organization and solving a deep core, what we would call systemic problem, is where our value add is going to be. So Ram Charan, probably one of the leading oh, consultants, if you've never read any of his books, read them. They're very, very good. Uh, I especially like the book called Execution. Um, anyway, he came up with a book a couple of years ago called The Attacker's Advantage. He's looking at risk through an upside lens, upside risk lens. Remember, upside risk lens is the opportunity lens. And he's got a great quote, taking control of uncertainty, think risk, is the fundamental leadership challenge of our time. And I would pose that to you also. Taking control of uncertainty or variation or gaps or risk is going to be the fundamental reliability challenge of our time, of your time specifically. So part of that is once you come up with that solution, we need to make sure that that solution, that decision is working. So what do we have? We have trust but verify. And how do we do that? Through risk-based auditing, which we'll talk about today. So what is risk-based auditing? Uh, I've written a couple books on it, <laughs> probably the best-selling books around. But just for giggles, I decided to go to Google Bard. So Bard is Google's GPT, ChatGPT. And I basically just simply inputted what is risk-based auditing into the prompt and got these solutions. So first of all, risk-based auditing has been re really fundamental to quality and reliability. So let's look at the plan, do, check, act cycle. That's the Deming cycle. It's been around, shucks, 80 years, maybe more. The check piece of that cycle is really about verification, validation. It's really about assessment, if not auditing. So this is what this machine, Google Board, gave me. And I want to sort of make a couple of comments on it. It was actually 
very good. Uh, if you haven't played with Bard or ChatGPT, I really, really recommend that you do that because um, the tools are getting more powerful all the time. So what's risk-based auditing? It's a way to uh, look at controls. Again, controls are basically used for what? Controls are used to minimize variation, to minimize risk, to essentially make sure that processes are stable. So basically, risk-based auditing is an approach to assess, assure that the most significant risks in the organization are being controlled. And again, I'm not going to read these slides, but, and by the way, I'll, <laughs> they'll be available to you uh, after this talk. So, you know, you can use them as you want. So here's the challenge. Most ISO auditing, most auditing and reliability is checklist-based. Most supplier, customer supplier audits are checklists. We got a five pages of checklists. We go down, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And those are called compliance. They're binary, zero, one. The problem is they really don't get to the core system, the core um, of what could be wrong or what could be a risk in an organization. Again, we're doing a checklist. Checklist is compliance. Again, all of this is straight out of BARD. So I'll share with you how smart the system is. I wrote this 500-page book, probably even 600 pages now, fourth edition. It's basically a risk-based auditing book. And here, basically, I get more def definitions from BARD. Now, BARD could have scraped this book to give you these definitions. I wouldn't be surprised. But the key thing is, one, um, these systems, these AI systems are getting smarter. They're being trained on much more data. They're being trained on well-written books like mine over here. But as you can see, it's spitted out a nice little definition of value added, which, by the way, in many ways is counterintuitive. I wouldn't be surprised that if you got these definitions from our book on the right here. So more definitions from Google Board. Um, a key part of risk-based auditing is risk-based decision-making. Actually, two things. Risk-based decision-making and risk-based problem-solving. Um, again, the idea behind risk-based auditing is to provide assurance. Assurance provides trust that the systems are working, that the systems are in place to close that gap between the outside in, VUCA, and the stable systems we have in, in an organization. So a key part of all of this, and again, this is straight from the AI, is not only are we, through risk based auditing, providing operational insights, but providing strategic insights. And that's important because much of this talk is going to basically address decision-making, our ability as reliability or quality engineers to make basically good and good as effective and economic and efficient decisions. 
And those decisions hopefully are heard and used by senior executives or senior management. So let's get back to what's in it for you. One of my takeaways from giving these talks uh, with Fred, and by the way, many of these talks I give with Fred or I share with, with you, uh, essentially is where we test ideas. So much like a comic will take ideas or skits or bits and test them with different audiences around the country. I test ideas with Fred's audience, with you. Uh, and you, you give me good insights and good things that I could feed to larger conferences where we might have two, three, five, even 10,000 people. So anyway, thank you very much for your patience. Part of this lessons learned that we did is that I learned is when we're giving these seminars, webinars like this one, we really have to take these ideas, which often we used to just simply do what is how to presentations. But a big takeaway has been personalizing it. Why do these ideas matter to you? Why do they matter to the company? What can you do next? In other words, make them relevant. So let's talk about one of the biggest challenges facing our profession, quality and reliability. Um, as reliability and quality professionals, the big question is, so what, who cares? Are we being heard in terms of management, senior executives? In other words, are we adding value to the organization? And the big part of that is how do we get executive management's attention? Because as that famous saying goes, if a tree falls and nobody hears it, did it fall? So another way to say that is that if we're doing HALT or FEMAs or any type or SPC, if we're doing tools and we're coming up with solutions, are uh, are we making decisions based on that or somebody using that information to make a decision that matters? Because we want to be able to answer the so what, who cares questions. So think about it. If executives or the organization don't get your reports and they don't know what you do or even care, are you going to have employability in the time of AI? Anyway, one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure that our information, your information, is recognized as valuable and the organization uses it to make money, to save money, or to make a difference. So I'm going to digress for a second because I think this is important. This is something that I found in the quality profession, engineering profession, reliability engineering profession. That's a big deal, and I think can make a difference. So let me digress. Every publicly held company has a risk board, and in the risk board has a board, board of directors. And part of the board of directors has a committee focused on risk. Now, this particular um, uh, slide basically deals with publicly held company. I forgot what it was. I think it was some company out of Europe. But the point is, I'm just covering what this risk committee does. And you can read this on your own. Basically, the company 
rephrase that every publicly held company requires risk assessments and risk management. Originally, it was for their financial controls. We call that ICFRs, internal control over financial reporting. Uh, for the last 15 years, boards of companies, executive management, now require risk assessments of internal processes. And again, a risk assessment is a form of risk-based auditing. And that's really critical. It's critical for quality. It's critical for ISO. It's critical for reliability engineering. Uh, in other words, senior management wants trust that value is being provided. They want trust that controls are in place. They want trust that what you're doing is effective, economic, and efficient. So this basically is from Thomson Reuters, 22. It's a European company. But every publicly held company in the world requires risk management. So what are the takeaways for you? One, learn the management, learn the language of risk. Two, put risk in your job titles. Three, um, start understanding how the company sees what you're doing in the quality, reliability, and engineering functions. Because as, as you can see from that last bullet, um, what's important for a company are these issues, strategic cybersecurity, regulatory compliance, reputational risk, for example, what happens if your product goes out there and um, fails? What happens, unfortunately, if there's a safety issue in use? What happens if there's a recall? Anyway, each one of those deals with reputational risks. Um, learn the language of risk. That's the language of the organization. That's the language of executive management. That's one of the first steps you can do to add value to your career. So I'll give you an example of why learning risk is important. And learning risk-based auditing or assessments are important for you. Most operational, and right now I'll use ISO 9001 or I'll use ISO standards as an example. Um, 20 years ago, we used to have a chief quality officer, CQO. Then quality became a director level function, then basically senior manager function, which is all, unfortunately, it's very real in many companies. What happens with a lot of the operational reports, they go up to maybe a director level, sometimes even a manager level. But the point is, operations has risks, especially in the supply chain these days. Uh, management system auditing, for example, uh, meaning ISO auditing, will go up to maybe second, third level management. It's the same with quality management systems or environmental management systems. And that's okay, because those are normally compliance. Again, compliance are binary, yes, no, zero, one. And that's okay. But here's the challenge. We've got maybe five different levels above that that sometimes don't hear of what you're doing, don't understand the value you're giving, don't understand the reason for being, the raison d'etre is what the French call it, 
for what you do. The reason of why we have a reliability or quality or engineering or even a finance function, they don't understand it. So it's incumbent upon us to speak their language. In this case, the language, the prism, the lens should be risk-based. Now, unfortunately, and we talk, gave a talk a couple months ago, probably around August, about supply chain management. Supply chains, especially when we have a model where we only have one supplier of a critical product, um, that can be a risk. Why? Because it shuts down a factory. If it shuts down a factory, there's no way we can get products to a customer. Customers don't buy products. There's no revenue. That's a very simple causal relationship. So what happens is all of a sudden supply chain risks became a critical issue. That's why the Financial Times came up with the term de-risking, which basically means moving out of China <laughs> as the word of the year. So what do we want as, qual as a reporting path for our audits or for our risk-based audits? We want them to go to the board of directors, solid line. Now, as you can see, internal audit reports go up two paths, dotted line to a chief financial officer, but solid line to the board of directors. That's where we want our quality and reliability reports to go to. We need to sort of reformat, reconfigure, re-visualize what we do. We're not solving, we're not doing tools. We're actually making decisions that can impact the financials of the organization. If we basically rethink or reformat or reframe what we're doing in terms of that, we're going to get a lot more visibility. We're going to be able to answer the questions, who cares, so what? Okay. So what we basically want to do, and I'm using this as an example from ISO, is we want our reports to go up to the chief audit exec executive and then on up to the board, as you can see from the figure on the right-hand side. So we have our quality reports that will still go up the operational chain to a director level. But now we want those reports to go up to the chief audit executive and to the board. You can see that from the red circle on the right. And again, the reason is trust and assurance that operational objectives are being met. So much of the training and much of the seminars that you're probably hearing deal with tools. Tools are great. Also, we have Chris, Fred, and many others now talking about decision-making. You know, you've got a great tool, you've solved a problem, and you've developed, you, you know, <laughs> you have data to support what you've done. That's great. Fred and others are basically saying, okay, move it to the next level. What decision that's critical to the organization are you going to contribute to or help uh, help decide that has an impact on the organization. One of the things I would suggest is start understanding and focusing on the objectives of your business unit. Now, your business unit can be a section. It can be a department. 
It can be a function or it can be the entire plant or it can be the business unit. But make sure that your reports are aligned with to a business objective. Now, a lot of consultants will say, they'll come into a first level engineering group or a section and say, focus on the strategic objectives. No, that's wrong. Focus your reports, focus what you do, focus on your value contribution, on the specific objectives that your boss or your boss's boss has, and make sure there's a direct correlation or hopefully causation that you can help the organization meet its objectives of the business unit, not the overall company. That's too far above you. That could be 10, 12 levels above you, but focus on the critical objectives, the outcomes that are important. Again, think critical few, right? Not the insignificant many. Focus on the critical few objectives that make a difference, that move the dial, you know, that make a lever to your boss or help help your boss reach his or her objectives. One way to do that is what are the risks and controls in your area that you can impact with your reliability and quality reports? So here's a check-in quiz. And I don't need to have your answer in the chat, but here's something to think about. What type of correlation or causation do you think there is between your company's product quality and reliability and profitability? Do you know that? Again, what I see, unfortunately, is that too many of us focus on the tools. Tools are important, don't get me wrong. But now, ChatGPT and Bard can do the, that pro, that. <laughs> can basically help you with that tool. So a quick story. We're now a software company. We use ChatGPT for a lot of our programming. We have saved 80 up to 90% of our time using ChatGPT to develop code for us. It's amazing. That's how you should be using AI. But here's, let's go back to the question. What's the correlation or causation between what you do, your company's product quality and reliability and profitability? Positive? No correlation? Negative correlation? Or frankly, you don't know or don't care? Um, think about that. Now, <laughs> why did I bring this up? I'm trying to move you from tools thinking to decision thinking Two, profitability thinking. I'm trying to take risk management, which most of us think in terms of FEMA, a tool, failure mode effects analysis, or to think about what we do as a tool and have you now think in terms of quality, in terms of profitability. So why did I bring up this example? This is what we call this check-in quiz. Um. This year, 23, or last year, I should say now, um, Tesla had a market cap, a market capitalization, meaning it's worth more than Toyota, GM, uh, Chrysler, or whatever it's called now, and Ford. Just think about that. Small startup 
had a greater market cap than all the other companies in the world. Combined. Combined. But, and here's the kicker, its reliability ratings were the lowest or among the lowest of any auto company in the world. In other words, there was a negative correlation between product reliability and quality and profitability. Or I should say more specifically, their market capitalization. What I'm trying to do is take what you're doing, which is hugely important, is to move it up. And Fred, Fred, Chris, and many others have, and Carl, uh, have basically been helping us move the profession from a tools orientation to a decision orientation. And now through this talk, I'm trying to move you into a profitability orientation. See what you do in terms of the value you contribute to the organization. Okay, so I've got an assignment for you this week. Every company, rephrase that, every publicly held company has two forms that they give to the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission. One's called a 10K, the other's called a 10Q. This is Apple's 10K. Basically, it's their financials. And as you can see, it's 73 pages. This is their yearly uh, compliance documentation. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're in Abu Dhabi, US, Canada, UK, wherever. Every publicly held company, and again, uh, there, there are publicly held companies in the in the in Russia. Anyway, if you're sold on any exchange, you're going to have an equivalent 10K. Your assignment this week is to take your, and by the way, these are available on the web. Take your company's 10K form and read it, and what you'll see is page after page after page of risks. If you don't know what the risks your company is facing or has to deal with, uh, it's very, very difficult for you to pay attention <laughs> and to rebrand and to learn risk management or risk-based auditing. Um, here's Apple's 10K, 12 pages of 73 address company risks. So your assignment this week is to get your company's 10K, or if you're not working for a company and you're sole contributor or you're a consultant, take any company, but go through this form because 12 pages out of 73 deal with risk. So I'm going to start going and giving you five examples of risk-based auditing. Again, the purpose of risk-based auditing is to trust but verify to use Reagan's expression. And again, these audits can be very formal or they can be very informal, such as a walk, walk around. So here's a model that a lot of companies use, and you can see it on the right. This is a model very similar to uh, Plan, Do, Check, Act. Um, again, before we said that check is really a form of assurance. It's a form of auditing. But in this case, we have architect design, deploy, and assure. And in this type of model is used for developing risk controls. So 
Here are a couple of reasons why this is important. Companies and executives are frankly scared. Um, they have to develop new operational models. They have to rethink about what they're doing in terms of product development. AI has been sort of a paradigm buster. How do we use it? When do we use it? Uh, how do we ensure that our data is kept safe? Uh, how do we, in, anyway, lots of questions at companies. And what's happening is that executives are still managing on old assumptions. And we remember that diagram I showed earlier about the basis of quality is stability, basis of reliability, stability, stability around a target. And the four key concepts are stability, capability, and improvement. I guess three, three words. But again, and by the way, behaviorally, a lot of executives, and frankly, a lot of us, were hired, promoted, and reinforced for one set of behaviors, risk-averse. Think we want processes to be stable. We don't want stability. We don't want variability. But unfortunately, uh, the external disruption, the external VUCA is changing stuff. It's creating gaps. And anytime we have a gap between our Six Sigma controls or stable controls and the outside, we're going to have risk and we're going to have to do something. Part of that is we want to have status reports. We want assurance. We want trust that what we're doing is closing those gaps between the outside in and what we're doing internally. And what happens is, quite frankly, many of us, many managers, many executives, are having a difficult time uh, managing in these days of uncertainty. So this is an example, a risk example from COVID. We have toilet paper. This is sort of a, I hope, hopefully won't be offensive, but toilet paper is a form of risk assurance. It's trust that, well, when we poop, that, <laughs> uh, well, we have assurance. That's the best way to put it. I'm not going to go <laughs> down that path. I should have thought this through a little bit more. Um, but anyway, bottom line is, when you don't have toilet paper, it's worth its weight in gold. And from an executive, when you don't have the proper risk controls, uh, it can cause much disruption and loss of revenue and loss of customers internally. So here are a couple examples of risk audits I'm going to cover over the next couple slides. Compliance process, risk assurance, or ORCA, internal control and attestation. And by the way, a walkabout, risk by management, walking around. They're all forms of risk-based audits. Um. Anyway, we'll talk about compliance. Compliance is a binary issue. You either comply with laws, rules, standards, regulations, or you don't comply. If you don't comply, what do you do? You have a corrective action or preventive action. So compliance is binary. Think yes, no. And most of our audits right now, risk-based audits, are follow this model. They're called sometimes systems audits, management system audits. 
So what are they? They're document documentation reviews. They ensure that the shells in the document, it can be a standard, it can be a regulation, it can be a policy, but anyway, make sure that the shells are being done and they're being done effectively, economically, and efficiently. And quite often, it's a yes-no decision coming out of that. If there's a no, we have corrective action or preventive action. So here's the so what. Um, focus on what's important to the board. Quite often, and I've seen this for many years, a lot of the compliance audits are, uh, what's a good way to say that, are just simply checklists, page after page after page. And the question I always ask is, so what? <laughs> uh, how's this information being used? What's the value add? If you're going to do a compliance audit, make sure that you're focusing on what's important to the company, what's important for meeting the objective, what's important for materiality. Um, if you're not familiar with that term, materiality, I'm not talking about kicking tires of a car or a product. It's really a financial concept. It's a concept that maybe sometime this year I'll talk about in one of these one-hour lectures because it's really, really important for reliability and quality and professionals to understand what is it, how is it being measured, why is it important, and why it should become part of your vocabulary. So another important way of, another important risk-based audit is what we would call a process audit, but it's more importantly a risk process audit, not just simply following the flow of a material or flow of the decisions. So I'll give you a quick example. Here we have a flow chart, but how do we know in this trade-offs or the white spaces. So I'll use a couple words here. And I'll repeat the question. Where do we know which trade-offs are being made? Where do we know what the assumptions are in developing this? How do we know what level of process is being shown here? How do we know why we have this, this product flow or decision flow? How do we know that white spaces are not being addressed here? How do we know that the critical decision points are here are the right decision points? Or, or does the flowchart even show the decision points that are being made? Quite often they don't. Everything that I mentioned, white space, gaps, decision points, flow, every one of those is a risk. It's a risk that needs to be addressed. And what I find in most organizations is they have flow charts which are great, but just simply show the flow of material. They do not show the flow of decision-making or the flow of assumptions or the flow of where decisions, critical decisions are being made. Anyway, what I just went through is an example of a risk-based process audit. So first of all, start with identifying the business objectives Make sure you're focusing on high-risk processes and you have the clearest view of this process. 
could be high level, could be low level, but make sure that you're looking and understanding the process flow. Are you looking at the process from a enterprise level, programmatic, project, process, transactional, product level, or even a test level? How are you looking at the at this at this process? Because that's important. Flowchart the process, identify measures and controls, and then look at decision points. Look at outcomes, look at objectives. Are they being met or are they being met? Are the objectives, outcomes being met in the most efficient way? And then report findings, and you can even recommend improvements. Now, in a formal audit, two criteria have to be met. Is the auditor objective and is he or she independent? And these type of internal process audits, you don't have to be either. You're basically evaluating the process to make sure it's effective, economic, and efficient. And the result is you're not independent and you're not objective. You're actually being an internal consultant to the organization. Now, why is that important? Well, senior management or executive management want to know that objectives are being met, the process is in control, and the right decisions are being made. Again, trust but verify. So here's an ORCA process. Think ORCA, killer whale. And the idea behind an ORCA is very simple. You have objectives, you have risks, you have controls, and you want to assess and assure that the controls are, again, the three E's, effective, efficient, and economic, to be able to meet your business objective. Now, again, and I want to go back to that. Fred, Chris, and Carl have been great, absolutely superb, moving the profession, reliability profession, to basically focus on decision-making. Now I'm asking you to focus on not only decision-making, but make sure that the decisions that you make ensure or assure that the objective is being met, your business objective, not at the strategic level, that's too far beyond you, but for your business area, are you helping the business area do what it has to do? And again, why is that important for the organization? Well, you want to focus on objectives that are being met or controls that are effective to ensure that there isn't <laughs> that uh, variability is being controlled so that the company can meet its financials. Another type of value-added audit is what we would call the internal control assessment. They're called ICAs. Um, these are normally done at the business unit or plant level. So essentially, it's looking at the control environment. It's the right tone of the organization. It's the soft area, soft issues. Control environment looks at tone of the top, ethics. If you're using AI, are, is the AI system in control? Is it trustworthy? Is it transparent? Is it fair? And then doing a risk assessment. Looking at the controls, uh, evaluating information communication, and then closing the loop 
you can think of this as a PDCA cycle. Again, doing an internal control assessment is a form of risk-based audit. Now, who cares? Well, or <laughs> why should, you know, why does it matter? Well, overall control effectiveness basically tells the VP director level that what you're doing is basically the right stuff. You're focusing on the right objectives, you're making the right decisions, and you're making them well. And more importantly, objectives can be met, business objectives. Now, this is a little bit more formal. Attestation. I'll try to give you a couple examples of an attestation. And if you're not familiar with that word, that's a form of assurance. So in this case, I'm a professional engineer. Uh, for many years, we did attestation audits over our engineering, professional engineering license. So what's an example of that? We would visit a nuclear power plant. We would make sure that the controls for the entire plant are three E's, efficient, effective, and economic. And then we would write a letter to the NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, saying that the systems are, you know, are in control. What type of systems? Risk control systems. But again, for doing this attestation, we would do a professional opinion. That's called opining. Opine means giving a professional opinion. This is what CPAs do for a financial statement. It's a high level of assurance. We again do it over our engineering license. Um, in the new risk world of AI, artificial intelligence, because that's under statute right now in the EU. The EU just last week passed what's called the uh, Artificial Intelligence Act, which basically means that all AI systems that are high risk have to be risk-based audited. By the way, the same is going to happen in the US third quarter of this year. In other words, risk-based audits of AI systems is going to be in statute. Um, what gives me the idea? Well, two weeks ago, the White House basically told every federal department, start planning on auditing <laughs> AI for safety and equity. So this is an example. This is an extreme example. But a number of years ago, in 2007, our company got certified through the Department of Homeland Security for doing critical infrastructure protection, homeland security, high-risk audits. And this is our audit schema or structure. At the lowest level of assurance, we would do an analytical analysis, think problem solving, you know, think reliability test. In other words, we would do a HALT test or we would do some type of reliability test. Next level is we would provide assurance, specifically three levels of assurance. Compliance, again, yes, no. Assurance with an opinion, an engineering opinion. You know, oh, yes, we would basically audit a chemical plant, water facility, and say, yes, the controls are in place. There is a high confidence level that the controls in place are working according to requirements, according to statute. In other words, adherence against something. And then in our case, for very high-risk systems, 
we would basically provide insurance coverage and the federal government would backstop us with no upper limit. And then finally, we would do a forensic audit. Now, why do I bring this up as an example? Uh, a tools-based assessment, which is analytical, is the lowest level of assurance. A forensics risk-based audit, which is the lowest level, provides the higher, highest level of assurance or highest level of trust. Think of each one of these, analytical, assurance, and forensics as being different levels or different types of trust. So I'll give you a quality reliability study, and hopefully it'll make some sense. So we started in this world a long time ago. You could see in 2008, we wrote an article uh, for Quality Digest. Uh, and then just oh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did a talk called AI Decision Making. Actually, it was a keynote to for Global Quality Week, you know, last month in the UK. So I'm going to talk about traditional types of audits, which are quality reliability audits, and offer solutions. So most of quality right now is provide what we would call ISO systems audits. Good type of auditing, Many, much of it is compliance-based. But here are the risks. Uh, the definition of risk is not well-defined. Risk-based thinking is not, uh, is not uh, what's the best way to say that? It is really not well-defined in ISO. And then more than 1 million companies around the world have to do risk-based audits but the challenge is they don't. And certification bodies, which are ISO systems, um, are basically breaking the schemas, breaking the laws by providing conformance audits or certificates against what's required. So anyway, we'll go into that. So why am I talking about quality disrupted? Because right now you could say, reliability disrupted, you could say engineering disrupted, finance disrupted, accounting disrupted. For example, because of AI that just came out last year, what we're seeing is the whole accounting profession basically being disrupted and potentially disappearing. Why? Because AI systems can do a lot of the work of accountants right now. So, Here's one of the definitions. And by the way, you can think of quality disrupted, and I'm using that as an example. I could easily talk about reliability, but this is a good one because this is basically fresh on my mind. <laughs> so here's quality. Remember from that figure that we drew a couple minutes ago, we showed a horizontal line of organizations. Well, right now, quality has... 40 different definitions of risk. And one of the most, most um, common definitions is ISO 31000. ISO 31000 is the risk standard, risk management standard. And it defines risk as the effect of uncertainty at an objective. Wow. Okay. We've been using that for many, many years. Millions of people have been using it. But how do you operationalize this definition? 
Well, here's the problem. And again, maybe it's because I've written, I don't know, a bunch of books. Um, I take this language, effective uncertainty and objectives, and I break it down. It's called parsing. Parsing basically means doing a syntactical analysis. Effective uncertainty objectives does not make sense. You cannot operationalize that. Why? Because there's no uncertainty in an objective. An objective, company objective, you're going to do something, is very clear. There's no uncertainty on it. There's no variation. It's really, the definition should be the effect of uncertainty on the achievement of objectives. Achievement of means this variability. You may achieve it or you may not. There's uncertainty on that. The uncertainty is on the achievement. It's not on the objective. Why is this important? Well, it now means that if you change the definition of risk to the achievement of, it basically means that a risk-based audit is doable. Right now, risk-based audit is not doable against the old def the current definition of risk. So ISO and quality have a concept called risk-based thinking. The question is, how do you audit somebody's thinking unless you've passed mind reading 101? You can't. When you do a risk-based audit, we need to have at least three things. We need to have audit evidence. We need to know what the inputs are. We need to know what the process is. And we need to know the outputs. And that's quite honestly, is one of the problems with AI audits. AI audits are going to be a requirement. It's going to be statutory in 24. Only one problem. Inputs to AI are unknown quite often. Two, the process of AI, especially generative AI, is unknown. And the outputs are not causal, can be not correlative, but can be hallucinatory. How do you do an audit on a risk-based audit on a hallucinatory outcome? Tough. Also, we need artifacts. Anyway, you can take a look at that. I'm not going to go through those. The point is, um, risk-based thinking is one of the terms that we need to solidify. And we define risk-based thinking in terms of two things, risk-based problem-solving, risk-based decision-making. Those two items provide artifacts. They provide a process. They provide outcomes. And with that, we can audit, do a risk-based audit. I want to go through this. I'll go through this pretty quickly because I want to answer a couple questions. So how do we conduct a risk-based audit? Well, the standard, and there is a standard, it says ISO 19,011. Only one problem. Many companies are not following that they're not doing risk-based audits. Now, what's the number of companies? Worldwide, there's probably 1.3 million companies registered to ISO. Probably another million that are using ISO but are not registered or certified. And what's happening is we have 2.3 million companies. Each one has to be risk-based audited. It's not being done. 
they're still doing compliance audit or management system audits. So a critical piece of, and by the way, on the right, you can see de-risking as being the Financial Times word of the year. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, another challenge. And again, the reason I'm bringing up this case study is this is the current system that we use in quality and reliability. So ISO 31000 is the risk management standard for ISO. It's specifically in the standard says it should not be used for certification. Only one problem, BSI, British Standards Institute, ANOR, which is the Spanish Institute, and TUV are all breaks, basically breaking the law and doing risk-based audits. So anyway, um, this is an example of current systems, in this case, quality systems. They're basically very stable. They've been around for 30 years, but they're not basically moving into this new world of uh, accommodating, understanding, or responding to, not reacting, responding to disruption, VUCA disruption. So what happens is the world, management, or companies, or bosses want a level of trust and assurance. The problem is, how do we do that? Well, risk-based audits are one way. So here's this Hokusai print on the right, and it basically shows a big wave and a bunch of boats. You could think of those boats as many organizations. You can think of the wave as VUCA. Um, and that Hokusai print uh, <laughs> is basically a, a metaphor or it's an example of what's happening to most of us is we're just simply being buffeted by waves that look like claws. <laughs> and we are having a hard time uh, addressing that. So is risk-based auditing the solution? Well, I think it's one solution that we're gonna see a lot of companies use in 24, but there are challenges to that. One, it's open to interpretation. Um, there's inconsistent application. It requires additional auditor training, much more training that they're accustomed to. Requires process knowledge, actually deep process knowledge. And it requires sometimes an additional, it can create additional variation due to the authors, to the auditor's judgment. And the judgment can be poor judgment, it, Lots of reasons. <laughs> anyway, today's takeaways. We're now living in a world of VUCA. We're all now VUCAs. You can see on the right one of our apps that shows a VUCAN. Assumptions, business assumptions and models are changing. This is a talk I gave a little while ago. Uh, basically made in China. <laughs> uh, at that time, a couple of years ago, um, everybody focused on just in time. Well, in my case, I was advocating for just in case. Just in case is a risk management alternative to just in time, where all everything is being disrupted. Part of this takeaway for you is add risk 
to your job title. And of course, my favorite little takeaway, the future quality is risk. So here's the so what for you. Boards want operational information and reliability information. Quality audits and what you do in terms of your decision-making and reliability should go to the board risk and audit committee. You folks as professional reliability engineers have the ability, have the knowledge, have the skills to not only make informed decisions, but hopefully informed risk decisions that have impact on being able to meet business outcomes, reach business objectives. Tools focus, hugely important. Decision-making, absolutely important. Risk-based decision-making, more important, that focus on outcomes. And if you're in an ISO shop, well, uh, over the next couple of years, learn how to do risk-based audits because that's, <laughs> that's going to be the future. Right now, uh, the entire quality, global quality industry is actually being disrupted. Um, risk-based auditing is a requirement of all management systems, according to ISO. Uh, quality auditors, whether you're internal external or whatever are going to be migrating to becoming risk assurance auditors. So here's my recommendations for you. Um, treat work, career, and job disruptions as risk challenges. Uh, tailor your audits, your assessments, or what you do, problem solving, in terms of risk assurance and tolerance. Understand that when you're solving a reliability problem using a tool, FEMA, uh, halt, whatever you're using, make sure that it addresses a critical business problem or a business objective. And understand your unit's risk assurance and risk tolerance levels. Tailor your risk controls to a standard if you can. NIST 800s, COSO, uh, AI. Uh, learn risk-based problem-solving decision-making if you're an ISO shop, learn, buy and learn 19,011, because that's the standard for conducting risk-based audits. And then uh, understand risk controls in your organization. If you don't have any, start architecting, designing, deploying, and assuring them, and provide trust provide assurance in your organization. Again, we cover five different types of audits, a walkthrough, a surveillance. That's a risk-based audit. So here's a couple of resources for you. Um, one is uh, the articles in Accenture Reliability, huge number, all great. If you want geeky articles, go to CERM Academy. Um, if you're wondering about the future professions, just in terms of how they're changing, go to this website. And um, if you want to see our keynote for AI decision-making,
go there. <laughs> anyway, um, hopefully you got something out of this talk. If you've got questions, please uh, put them in the chat. That's it, Fred. Yeah, I got it. Um, Carl dropped a couple of questions a little while ago if they were um, suitable for now. Well, one of them is, uh, how do you write a good contingency plan to help manage risk? And a similar but a slightly different one is, you know, yeah, we got Liza Liz and there's lots of uncertainty. Hence, there's insurance to help manage risk. And, and every day is a new challenge. Um, so they're not, well, they're related in my mind, but I'd like to get your thoughts on it for Carl. Let's go through the first question again. What was it? <laughs> oh, um, contingency how, how do you write plan. a contingency plan to help manage risk? The contingency plan in terms of managing risk is what happens if the risk controls don't work and the system goes volatile, meaning lots of variation. The simple answer to that is a kappa. That's what we would call as a transactional product response. Very, you know, and that's been used for many years. A kappa corrective preventive action. A more deeper response is quite often, and this goes back to the Deming thing, it's the system. So quite often the response for a kappa is at the product transactional level could be at the process level too, I guess. But quite often, the problem can be very systemic, which means it's management, culture, uh, procedure, policy needs to be changed. So that's a very deep answer, depending upon the level of the but problem. So that, but that's pretty reactive. Kappa is something unexpected or bad has happened and you want to investigate Correct it. Correct it after the fact. Yeah, but... Uh, um... A contingency plan is a plan. It's looking ahead. A contingency plan is looking at ahead. And basically, you can, oh, if you're going to look at this enterprise wide, then basically you do business continuity or something like that type of plan. So, business continuity essentially is an enterprise wide solution to a system, systemic issue that tends to fall apart. And their standards on how to write a uh, uh, business continuity, or just simply go to Bard or ChatGPT, and you can basically get an idea on how to write a BCP, business continuity plan. That's a contingency plan at the enterprise level. What was the second question again, Fred? I'm sorry. Uh, about insurance, related to insurance. To manage Is there insurance? Can you insurance? Insurance. I am. Okay, and can you state the question again from Carl, please? Uh, in the lives we live, there is always uncertainty, hence the reason for insurance to help manage risk. Every day is a new challenge. Any thoughts? Yes, insurance is a form of risk transfer. Okay, something craps out, something goes wrong, something happens, and the insurance company provides the backup. So insurance is a form of assurance through risk transfer. Risk transfer is the insurance company. 
I don't know if I answered the question, maybe not. Well, you defined <laughs> it, but it's, it's only one of many ways to manage risk. Yes. Yes. Thank you.